0: Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us to give us your word in the days that we live on this earth, Lord, which reveals your heart, which reveals ourselves, which reveals the world and your purposes and designs for the world. Lord, thank you for the disclosure that you have given to us, the revelation that you have given us. And we pray now, Lord, as we look into details concerning this passage that was just read for us, that you would come and be our teacher, be our helper, Lord God, and that you would continue to to do the work in us of transformation so that we look more and more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for being with us here today for this time that we get to enjoy in the worship of you, amen. A crisis lands in your life some difficult very trying thing how do you react if you're like me I confess uh, there have been many points along my journey where a crisis of some some kind has come and my initial almost knee-jerk reaction is to resort to my own thinking To my own resources to my own strategies my own strength as i try to solve the crisis or the problem and in that way i am a lot like nebuchadnezzar of babylon how about you nebuchadnezzar had a problem daniel 2 starts this way in the second year of the reign of nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And we think here that the plural, dreams, means that Nebuchadnezzar had a recurrent dream. The same dream, but night after night after night, dreams. And his spirit was troubled, or in the New English translation, His mind was disturbed. Nebuchadnezzar was agitated. He was distressed by this recurrent dream, and his sleep left him. Nebuchadnezzar's servants made sure that that every evening before bed, they topped up the NyQuil bottle on Nebuchadnezzar's night table. They arranged new pillows, for the king they brought in a lute player to play some soft bedtime music but none of it worked his sleep left him so troubled was he by this recurrent dream now we have to remember here that nebuchadnezzar was babylonian the babylonians had tried very hard to work out the meanings of dreams And they believed that bad dreams were omens. Bad dreams, they believed, relayed frightening messages about the future. Just as one example, if you're Babylonian and you dream that you are eating a hyena, the Babylonian interpretation of that is that you were about to suffer a serious seizure. Nebuchadnezzar was anxious. He was distraught about his recurrent dream. Now, if we are familiar with the story of Daniel, we know that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar was having had come from Yahweh, God of Israel. And Lord willing, we will look into the actual dream and its interpretation next Sunday. But for now, just note this very important fact. It's very interesting. Israel's God, the true God, had implanted a specific, very vivid dream into the sleeping mind of this Babylonian king. God gave this man, the same man who had attacked the holy city of Jerusalem, the same man who had ended up burning and looting the Jerusalem temple, the same man who had kidnapped Daniel and his friends, God gave this non-Israelite man this dream, and it was a dream that showed the sweep of world history. Why did God give this man (laughs) this dream? Well, all we can say with Isaiah 55, 9 is that God's ways are higher than our ways, yes, and God's thoughts are higher than ours. I wouldn't have given Nebuchadnezzar this dream had it been in my power, but God did. Well, what does a Babylonian king do when a Babylonian king has a recurrent troubling dream? What does Nebuchadnezzar do in this little crisis that he is now experiencing? He goes immediately, notice, to seek human help. Nebuchadnezzar's knee-jerk reaction in this hour of his trouble is to call in his cabinet. Verse 2, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. Now notice, friends, especially here, Bible readers, note, note especially that two of the groups that Nebuchadnezzar brings in here are The magicians and the sorcerers and as soon as we see these words magicians and sorcerers we think of the Pharaoh of Egypt at the Exodus who called in his magicians and sorcerers to duplicate the miracles that God worked through Moses and Aaron And those Egyptian magicians and sorcerers eventually reached the limits of their abilities, didn't they? And they could not duplicate the third plague, the plague of gnats. And Pharaoh's magicians had also been powerless in the time of Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And so we have to wonder, as we read this in Daniel, we, we, as this narrative of Daniel is going to progress, we wonder, will Nebuchadnezzar's sorcerers and magicians also limit out in their abilities? Now, on your stove at home, you have dials for the elements, right? At verse three, if we're looking at the story, we're, we're at the medium-low setting. Okay, about three on the dial. Not too much heat in the narrative yet. Nebuchadnezzar, he's still disturbed by his dream. That's, That's the medium low there. And he begins to speak to his assembled entourage. And the king said to them, I had a dream. It's kind of like Martin Luther King, but different, right? I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse four, then the Chaldeans, or in your version it might say astrologers, said to the king in Aramaic, just as an interesting side note, from this place in the text of Daniel, all the way down through chapter seven and verse 28, the original text suddenly switches to Aramaic. It had been Hebrew, now it goes to Aramaic. We're not entirely sure why this is, although there have been several proposals. But the Chaldeans say to Nebuchadnezzar, listen to what they say, (laughs) O king, live forever. Now there's some humor here, right? Because as we continue forward in the story, we're gonna understand that Nebuchadnezzar's dream says the exact opposite of live forever. The dream asserts that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom will die. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Now, as we read biblical narrative closely and carefully, sometimes you can tell what the concerns of the narrative are by observing repeated words. So the word dream or dreams, plural, Is used 11 times in the first nine verses of this chapter and words that relate to the revelation and the interpretation of the dream are also all over the place here so words like show the dream tell the dream interpret the dream make known the dream this part of the story is focused on Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the cracking of the code of that dream and the question here that arises from the text is who is going to get the job done of interpreting the dream showing the dream O oh, King live forever tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation now so far we've been saying that Nebuchadnezzar was experiencing this little crisis concerning his dream right in verse 5 Another sort of crisis emerges, and it's a far more serious crisis, but not for Nebuchadnezzar. Now his counselors are plunged into a crisis of their own. And so verse 5, our oven dial goes up to medium heat now. It's getting a little hotter to 5 or 6. The tension is rising here. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, I can't imagine Nebuchadnezzar's voice. The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, listen, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Wow. Now, in the original Aramaic text here, what Nebuchadnezzar promises his counselors is literally this that they will be made into limbs, made into limbs and their houses made garbage dumps if they fail to relate to him, notice, both the content of his dream and its interpretation. And it's a good bet, friends, that Nebuchadnezzar here is not bluffing Because after all, just a chapter hence, chapter three, he's going to throw Daniel's friends into the fiery furnace. But we wonder at his harshness here. Why such a sudden and very violent outburst against his Babylonian counselors? I have a hunch that before these guys ever came into his chambers, Nebuchadnezzar already suspected their phoniness. And so now he would test them. Nebuchadnezzar knew the content of his dream, but they did not. And if they were legit in their magic and in their sorcery and in their enchantment and astrology, they would be able not only to interpret the dream, but also to rehearse. It's content without Nebuchadnezzar disclosing that content to them. After all, weren't these guys in touch with higher powers? Didn't they have a fast track to the supernatural? Nebuchadnezzar was paying them good money to do this, right? So let's go ahead and do it. No doubt there were examples of such counselors in the ancient Near East who just simply made stuff up. (laughs) Like when a king did reveal the content of his dream to these types of counselors asking only for the interpretation of the dream, the counselors would just give a made-up, phony interpretation that was designed to scratch the king where he itched and make him happy, and they would get a pay raise. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want that. He wants these guys to put their money where their mouth is and be legit. Tell me the dream itself without my prompting you, and tell me what that dream means, unless you want to become body parts and your houses made into garbage dumps. But then notice he also throws out a sort of olive, olive branch. <laughs> he dangles a carrot in front of the counselors. Verse 6 But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me that new Lexus, and a jet ski, and an all-inclusive vacation. Gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Now before we go to verse seven, please notice, notice carefully, the source, the source that Nebuchadnezzar is seeking for help with his dream, the source he is going to is these guys, right? who he already probably suspects of phoniness. And we notice in both verse 5 and verse 6, Nebuchadnezzar, notice this, he says to them, you, counselors, human counselors, you must make known, and you must show me the dream and its interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar, we need to see, is still stuck here on human wits, on human intelligence, to try and figure this thing out. What happens in verse seven? The counselors double down (laughs) on the request that they've already made in verse four. For a second time now, they say to angry Nebuchadnezzar, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation, maybe with a half smile on their face. And now, friends, our oven dial goes up to medium high. seven or eight verses eight and nine (laughs) the king answered and said it's probably tapping his fingers i know with certainty that you are trying to gain time you all are buying time here because you see that the word for me is firm if you do not make the dream known to me there is but one Sentence for you. You have agreed, or NIV, you have conspired together to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. In other words, you're going to just lie and speak these corrupt words to me until I'm gone and no longer on this throne. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar is not budging here, notice. His face has grown a little redder. He's showing a little paranoia, perhaps, about a conspiracy here in his counselors. Things really seem to be moving in the direction of a boiling point here. And then we get verses 10 and 11. The Chaldeans, probably a little exasperated at this point, they answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the kings ask is difficult for no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now notice these verses, friends. What are verses 10 and 11? As Dale Davis has said with great insight, these two verses are a confession of the failure of paganism. These two verses are a confession of the failure of the idolatry that the Babylonians had been practicing. These two verses are a confession of the bankruptcy of godlessness. We can't do it, King. We just can't. It's not possible for us to discern the content of your dream followed by the interpretation of the dream. It's beyond our powers. Only the gods could do such a thing and they are sufficiently removed from us. And it's here, friends, where our oven dial goes to the highest setting, up to 10. The heat now becomes pronounced in verse 12. Because of this, the king, notice, was not simply angry, but was angry and very furious. The Jewish Publication Society, as they translate this, they've rendered it this way. The king flew into a violent rage. Now people who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. Here comes the bad landing. And he commanded that, notice, not just this group of counselors standing before him that they be destroyed, but all the wise men of Babylon were to be destroyed. So, One way we could put it is that Nebuchadnezzar's fuse has blown now. His paid counselors have utterly failed him. He remains disturbed by this recurrent dream that he's been having. And I think Nebuchadnezzar must have at least had an inkling about the dream itself. The dream seemed to predict his demise and the demise of his great Babylonian kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar was exasperated, and he was panicked here. And this can so easily happen, friends, when you are seeking the wrong gods, the wrong wisdom, the wrong path. Verse 13, so the decree went out, he signed off on it, and the wise men were about to be Killed. And if we have a setting on our oven dial for 11, that's where it goes now. And they sought who? Daniel and his companions to kill them. So we reach a high point in the tension here in the narrative. There's a warrant out now for Daniel and his three friends with a death sentence hanging over their heads. Daniel and his friends would now find themselves in a life-and-death struggle. As Brian Chappell says, the bottom drops out for Daniel and his friends. Talk about a life crisis. What do you do when you experience a real crisis in your life? Do you take Nebuchadnezzar's path and go immediately to earthly solutions and human strategies? Or do you go the route that Daniel took? Now let's watch Daniel carefully as he is now in his great crisis. Notice the massive, massive contrast now as verse 14 comes. So again, in verses 2 through 13 that we've just moved through, our oven dial, we saw, went from medium low all the way up to 11. So great was Nebuchadnezzar's fury when answers failed to come to him. So we, left ne- we last left Nebuchadnezzar raging, violent, carrying on. But now we get Daniel. In verse 14. Then Daniel replied, how? With prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So get this. Daniel finds himself now standing there with the chief executioner Okay, just picture that, the chief executioner of the Babylonian administration. And instead of panicking, running, Daniel speaks to this hangman with wisdom and with tact. Daniel is calm. Daniel is respectful. Daniel is shrewd. Verse 15... He declared to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. Notice here, the chief executioner readily and happily makes the matter known to discreet and prudent Daniel, right? While the king's paid counselors had failed to make the matter of the dream known to their king, even under the threat of death. God makes sure that Daniel gets disclosure even though Nebuchadnezzar has not yet. Verse 16, and Daniel went in and requested the king, notice, to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. The ESV here has that phrase, notice, to appoint him a time But in the NIV, it's this, Daniel asked for time. Daniel asked for time before he would be ready to declare the dream and its interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. And notice carefully, friends, Nebuchadnezzar had accused his own counselors, remember, of trying to buy time. Remember that? In verse 8. He'd been unwilling to let them do that. But here, the time that Daniel asks for is granted. Why? Because God is at work. God is Daniel's helper. He's our helper too. Verses 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known. There's a lot of making known and not making known here. He made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to do what? to seek mercy from the enchanters, sorcerers, no, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. My friends, what do you do when a crisis lands in your life? When Daniel's very life was under threat, What did he do? In a nutshell, Daniel fell on his knees before God. Daniel went immediately to prayer. Daniel gathered his believing friends, verse 17, for the purposes of seeking mercy from the God of heaven in prayer. Contrary to the position of Nebuchadnezzar's counselors who had concluded in verse 11 that the gods were somehow disconnected from human beings, (laughs) Daniel knows the true God of heaven who is concerned with the day-to-day affairs of his kids on earth. Daniel knows the true God. Daniel walks with God And God by his spirit walks with his people on earth and he hears and he answers our prayers. Amen. (laughs) Cancer comes. Disease comes. Kids become addicted to drugs. Family abandons you. You go bankrupt. You fail a semester at school. A friend, close friend, descends into a mental health crisis. What is your reaction when trouble lands in your life? Where do you turn? Daniel went with his friends to God. In the words of Brian Chapel, Daniel went to the God whose abilities are beyond our imagining. Yes, amen? Daniel went to the God whose ways are beyond our knowing. Daniel went immediately to the God whose solutions are beyond our doing. Now, if you live long enough, I'm only 53, but if you live long enough, there will be those moments in your life when you reach the end of your powers to solve things. Somebody testify to that? You will come to those moments in life when the supports that you once depended on evaporate. When you're at your absolute limits, well, in language borrowed from monopoly, it's then that you go directly to God. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go directly and go speedily to Him. You fall on God with the whole of you. Because you need access to a power and to a wisdom and to an ability that is greater than your own. And the amazing thing about God, friends, is that he's promised to supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. Daniel and his friends bow before Lord. Now we don't have record here of the actual prayer that they prayed, but the crucial thing comes now in verse 19. Their prayer is answered. Verse 19 says, then the mystery was what? Revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. The mystery here is given to Daniel by God. When Daniel and friends knocked the door was opened to them. God unlocked the door and revealed the mystery to Daniel, and the mystery is both the content and the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The mystery is God's revelation that previously had been hidden, but is now revealed to Daniel. And where that whole contingency of magicians and astrologers and chanters Sorcerers had been useless in their phoniness. God comes through here and he gives Daniel the goods. Now listen, friends, when we are in a crisis and we pray, we pray with fervency, we pray with earnestness, we pray with humility, we pray in faith, And God answers our prayers, maybe not the way we anticipated, but He answers our prayers. Sometimes I think we can be so thrilled with His answer that we forget to go back to Him in prayer to offer Him thanksgiving and praise. Daniel doesn't forget to do this. In fact, Daniel rushes to the praise and the exaltation of God, sort of like the tenth leper was sure to go back to Jesus after his cleansing, to praise Jesus, when the other nine didn't? The end of verse 19 says, then Daniel did what? He blessed the God of heaven. And in verses 20 through 23, we have record of Daniel's praise and worship. It's a praise and worship service now. God is so great and so faithful and so powerful, and so merciful, and so loving, and so dependable, and so wonderful, that he deserves all our adoration and praise. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. Have you seen the leaves falling off the trees? God did that. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. God does that. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you. (laughs) O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. Ask and it will be given to you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Now, get this, friends. Get this very carefully. At the moment when Daniel uttered this thankful praise to God, there was still a bounty on his head. Yes? Still under massive life and death pressure, Daniel stops everything to praise and to exalt God. And isn't it true that when we praise God, listen, when we praise God, we ourselves are strengthened. We found that to be true. When we praise God, we ourselves are strengthened. As Chapel puts it, praise arms God's people to face their foes. Praise so focuses our minds on the greatness of God that our trials are far less intimidating. It so focuses our minds on the greatness of God that our trials are far less intimidating. Intimidating. My friend, what do you do when a crisis lands in your life? Notice how in his prayer here, Daniel starts with the focus on God. Did you notice that? He starts with the focus on God, how powerful God is, how wise God is. Always a recommended way for us to begin our prayers by exalting God. Daniel acknowledges, notice, that wisdom and might belong to God, right? In verse 20, but God's wisdom and might are given in God's grace to Daniel. They are given as an undeserved gift to Daniel, and Daniel acknowledges that in verse 23, when he says, you have given me (laughs) wisdom and might. Daniel knows, and I hope we do too, that whatever wisdom, whatever might he has, it has all come as a gift from the source of wisdom and might, from God. Daniel didn't gain wisdom from reading books or from listening to podcasts or from studying Babylonian astrology. It came from God. And Daniel knew it. Who gives wisdom? God does. Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Two more things briefly to notice in Daniel's praise here, and then we'll wrap this up. So first, Daniel affirms that God is the sovereign one, notice, who removes kings and sets up kings. It is God's pleasure to be the manager of history, to allow world leaders to ascend, in his wise ways, and to then depose them. And probably here, Daniel is thinking specifically as he prays this, he's thinking specifically about the dream that's just been revealed to him, a dream that involves, of course, the setting up and the removal of kings and kingdoms. Secondly, notice here the blessed and very profound truth, another one to take home with us today, that's nestled there, in verse 22, that God, listen, that God knows what is in the darkness. Now, my friends, on this side of glory, the light that you and I have is limited. There are many things that are obscured to us, many things about our existence, many things about our lives that are in the dark. Things happen, and we ask, why this? Or why did that happen? How did this happen? Etc. Cetera, et cetera, We can be assured that our good God knows what's in the darkness, even if we don't. Yes? As Dale Davis puts it, he puts it like this. He says, you can walk into the future with a God like that who shows you that history is going toward his unshakable kingdom, and who assures you that even though you have many personal uncertainties, you follow a God who knows what's in the darkness. And so you can go forward, you can keep going with hope and without fear. Isn't our God great? Now, next week we will come, Lord willing, to the moment when Daniel appears before Nebuchadnezzar to tell him both the content and the meaning of the dream. In our initial, or in our initial, in our final moments, I'm not going to start another sermon. In our final moments this morning, I want to circle back with you to verse 11 where the Babylonian counselors had told their king that they could not give the content, the meaning of the dream, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So in their so-called wisdom, they concluded that the gods did not dwell with flesh, but see, the true God's wisdom was higher. The eternal Son of God, would come to earth to dwell in human flesh. And in his hour of great crisis, as we said at communion time this morning, the God-man Jesus Christ would offer thanks to God, like Daniel had done before him. Jesus knew for a certainty that he was about to go to the cross, and in that hour, as he poured wine For his disciples at the Last Supper, the wine that symbolized the blood that he was about to shed on Calvary, he thanked God. In his hour of greatest crisis, he thanked the Father. Daniel had been able to pray with his three friends in the hour of his greatest crisis, but for Jesus, his three friends, Peter, James, and John, fell asleep as Jesus prayed alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. Daniel's prayer in crisis had been answered with God's yes, as God revealed to Daniel the mystery of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But for Jesus, in Gethsemane, his prayer that the cup of suffering be removed from him was met with God's No. In the wisdom and in the will of the Father, Jesus would suffer. Willingly. Jesus would go to the cross as our substitute, sacrifice there so that you and I would reap the untold benefits, the untold benefits of forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. My friend, know this, that God is all wise and you are not. God is all wise and God is all powerful. If you are going through a crisis, I invite you and I encourage you, I exhort you to fall on your knees and seek him in earnest prayer. You have the promise of James 1:5 that if you lack wisdom, you ask God and he will give it generously, it says, without reproach. Believer, I remind you that you are in union with Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So stop trying to figure things out on your own and in your own power. And remember this, finally, that even in your most grievous trials, even when, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, even when you are burdened beyond your strength and despairing of life itself, God is at work. And he is causing you in that moment to rely not on yourself, but to depend on him who raises the dead. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, as the Lord's prayer says. You are holy. You are perfect, you are powerful, and you are faithful. And I pray for each and every person today, Lord, that they have heard you speak, heard your spirit speak through your word, and that there would be a fresh throwing of self at your feet, at your throne, casting burdens to you because you care for us. We thank you, Lord, that with all our anxieties in the modern world, we can run to you, seek your wisdom, receive your wisdom, and your help. We praise you, we adore you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.